Welcome to the Everything Early Childhood podcast designed for approved providers, nominated supervisors and other childcare leaders. This fun, lighthearted and very serious podcast features weekly episodes on strategy, advice and conversations with fascinating and inspiring people from across our sector. Join the journey and have access to the tools and inspiration you need to create high performing childcare businesses. Let's get started. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Everything Early Childhood. I am your host, Lisa Brown, and today we have a special guest who's dedicated their career to nurturing the youngest minds, shaping the future generations. So we're delving into the world of early childhood education today, as we do every week, and a realm where every day is an adventure with curiosity, growth, and boundless imaginations. Our guest today is a seasoned early childhood professional with a wealth of experience, Coming to us all the way from Canada um, with insights into the magical realm of a child's first years. So we look forward to delving into play-based learning, navigating the challenges and that they've seen throughout their career and the driving force creating a positive impact on young lives. So now without further ado, let's welcome Donna Ski, an advocate for early childhood development to the Everything Early Childhood podcast. So welcome Donna. Oh, Lisa, thank you so much. What a wonderful intro. I really appreciate that. And and I'm super excited to be here. I've been listening to your podcasts and um, they've ha- inspired me to reach out and say, hey, I want to be part of this because this has been wonderful. You're really an inspiration. So thank you uh, for doing what you're doing as well. Oh, I appreciate you so much getting in touch. I was like, yes, let's do this. <laughs> it's uh, you know it's it's interesting because within the context of you know different worlds but we're very much early childhood we all have the same kind of uh, issues dilemmas um, problems um, you know uh, joys all of those things we're all very similar it doesn't matter where we are in the planet but I really feel like um the community of early childhood is really small and we all have our, you know, our joys and our ups and our downs and all of the love that we have for the children and, and the purpose that we all, all share. So I think it's really amazing to be able to do it like this. Yeah. Oh, and thank goodness for technology and our ability to be able to connect. (laughs) Um, Amazing. And it's interesting that you said that because obviously having the opportunity to travel around the world, which you have as well to see early childhood spaces, and be part of that it is so interesting that there are similarities with the challenges that we're facing Absolutely. I've been to uh, several different different countries. I've been to China. Um, I was in Scotland this summer and met up with a bunch of colleagues who were at the uni in Inverness um, and had conversations with them. I've, I've worked with uh, daycares even in Australia. And uh, it's amazing. Uh, the problems are the same um, and the joys are the same. And the we're all trying to navigate, um, I think, what we would call the new normal post-COVID, um, the changing sort of dynamics that is daycare and childcare, um, trying to, to, you know, 
help support our educators, help support the children and their families. All of those things are all the same. Um, and so we're all in it kind of into in it together, you know, we're all in it together and, and to support each other and to be um, part of that, that wonderful universe we call early childhood. Yeah, I love that. And I love that you've put preface on those joys because there are also yes. so many of those beautiful moments. And we've been talking a lot about, and it's been coming up in a lot of conversations about glimmers and finding mm-hmm. those moments of joy. So before, before we get into anything, like I want to know what is one story from your career that you look back on and because I call it like our best day ever, right? And so yes. what is one of these moments where you look back and you're like, this was our best day or best moment ever? Oh, my favorite story I love to tell is about a little boy named uh, Simon. And um, one day, Simon, who never comes to the art table, came to the art table and uh, started making paper airplanes, you know, like just with the, you know, folding it up and being able to, to make those paper airplanes. Now, you know, I have a lot of skills as an early childhood educator, but that's not one of them. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And I suck at ma- making paper airplanes, especially ones to, that they want to make fly. Well, this little boy was such uh, a genius at making these pa- paper airplanes. And of course, you know what happens when one child does it. Mm. They come running over to me. And they say, oh, Donna, 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 please make me a paper airplane. And I would, I just put my hands up. I said, I'm sorry. I don't know how to do that. You're going to have to go um, talk to, to, to Simon. And so Simon comes back over with all of this little children following him behind oh, to teach how to do the, the air paper airplanes. Now, for three days straight... We had paper airplanes being thrown all over um, my classroom. I just sat there in my joy watching a little boy come completely out of his shell because it was quite quiet before, um, uh, come out of his shell demonstrate leadership skills, being able to teach and to facilitate and to scaffold other children into doing this, um, Children who would never come to the art table were now drawing on their paper airplanes, making it a big deal, super excited to come into the classroom because they were going to do paper airplanes again. And it just went on and on for three full days. And then, you know, as children do, they kind of get bored of it and that they move forward. But I just sat there watching children support each other, engage with each other and all I had to do was provide materials Mm. that's it Mm. I had no guidance strategies I didn't have to do anything I just showed up for the day (laughs) you know it was just one of those days where there was just pure joy in the classroom and everybody was happy I let things sort of evolve in the way that they naturally and there was no there was no issues and I, I saw this little boy go from somebody who was kind of, you know, in the pack mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to now becoming a leader. Beautiful. And now children wanted to hang out with him. Children wanted to be friends with him. Children want to play, wanted to play what he wanted to play with. So I saw a child's growth and 
in terms of their, you know, emotional development, their social skills, as well as building on their self-worth and self-esteem. So for me, that is my, okay, I can retire now. <laughs> that was your moment in those three <laughs> that days. That was my yes. moment. That was the day. Beautiful. And, you know, and I think one of the things, my, the message when I tell that story is that I believe that by letting, allowing myself to um, hand over the control, so to speak, mm. of the of the classroom to the children and giving them that opportunity to learn from each other. Um, I created a community that day. Yeah, you did. You did. And that's what I was going to delve into, actually. I was going to say, like, a lot of educators coming in, particularly when they're at their start of their career, and they think, well, what is my job? Because in that stood out for me, it's like you took a step back, you allowed the children to be in that power to make those decisions around their learning and for him to take a leadership role, um, our little Simon. Mm -hmm. So how did you, or what do you believe is the role of an educator and how do we get more educators on board with feeling and thinking that they don't have to be doing everything for children because children don't need us as much as we think they do. Oh, yes. Uh, it was very interesting. In, in that particular year, I learned a lot about being an early childhood educator. I learned I learned just how capable children were. Mm. Um, you know, uh, at the beginning of, this, of, of the year, we started with conflict resolution. And I remember one particular time there was uh, a child that... Uh, you know, there was a conflict at the sand table and I was heading over there and I heard them using the strategies and I slowly backed away from the situation because they didn't need me. And I I think one of the things that we know, so for the last 20 years, I have been a professor at a college teaching early childhood. So I'm teaching the next generation of students going into the field to become educators. And we know from the research that, you know, that first year or two is really about survival. They're just trying to get through the day. Mm. So I I feel one of the things that we have to work with with educators is building on their confidence and understanding what they really need is to believe in themselves, that they have the strategies and that they have the skills and they know what they're doing. But and and it's funny because I was listening to one of your podcasts and you were talking a lot about being intentional. Mm. And I feel like the first couple of years, they don't have that intentionality yet. They're very re- reactionary. Yeah. So I think so they feel like if they don't. um if they don't control everything, they're going to lose control, yeah. which, you know, I, you know, that, that I kind of understand that, but at the same time, uh, they need to have sort of a Simon experience to sort of see, you know what, it doesn't all go crazy and turn into chaos if you hand it over to the children. And one of the things that I tell my students, I tell the educators in the classroom that I work with and, and I, I, I try to get them to understand that, the classroom is not actually for them. It's for the children. And that within the context, you're there and you're facilitating and you're scaffolding and you're doing all the things that you're supposed to be doing, cutting up the apples and making sure they're safe and all of the stuff that, that we do. But creating an environment where the children 
feel safe, where they feel confident that they're capable and that they're they're able to do these things and make choices in a classroom that they feel is theirs. And it should. We should walk into those spaces and it should represent the people that are in the space. But I also think to to add on what you're saying, I think that it shouldn't just represent the children. It should represent the adults in the space as well because it's also their space. Um, So, you know, and I don't mean um, for it to be completely teacher driven. Um, Mm -hmm. What I mean is, you know, if they're from a different culture or a different background, you know, to to bring in their interests and their culture and bring in those things that make them who they are as well. Absolutely. Mm. I agree with that as well. I think that, but I think it's sometimes we need to kind of like, I find that teachers are a little shocked when I tell them that the the classroom is for this for the yeah, children, right? Because yeah. they think they, especially when you're working, because I've worked with, um, you know, pre K and kinder uh, classes, so they go in with the mindset that they're teachers and they have to set up their classroom accordingly, right? So they have a different kind of mindset about that, and then, but you're right, and I I think that one of the things that I've been teaching and giving workshops is building community and that every child within the context of that community and the educators as well should feel like they're represented. There should be baby dolls. There should be storybooks. There should be pictures. There should be everybody's different types of family, everybody's different types of, you know, you know, skin tone. There's wonderful books. There's a lot of materials out there now. Um, and one of the things I always remember, I had a student in at the college level who said that they'd never got their family portrait correct because there was never the right crayons wow. for what their family looked like. Yeah. And now, luckily, Crayola has come up with colors of the world. And so I was thinking of her I bought a whole bunch of crayons and I made I went I went into the classroom and I, I I said would you like to do your family portrait now because now she had the colors of her family in this crayon box and she was able to draw at like 19 years old she was finally able to draw a picture of her family because you know her her mother was white and her dad was from Jamaica and her little sister was a stepsister like there was all so there was a multi faceted kind of family and then she could finally um draw that family and I said now you can go home and put it on the fridge oh bless (laughs) yeah what a beautiful moment she she was so happy and I was so inspired by her so now every time I try to bring in those those crayons so that that you know it 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 seems like such a small gesture but really it's it, it it's so big for a lot of children to be able to to color a picture with the skin tone that they have. Yeah, to look in the mirror and see themselves represented on the page. And I love how the world is catching up. (laughs) I love how the world is catching up. Yes, finally. (laughs) I remember, you know, many, many years ago getting all of the shades and colours out and trying to mix them together to try to come up with the right shade. It was so so, um, challenging, but we did it. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, that is such a beautiful moment. And it's those moments of joy and impact that those um, children, even at 19 years old, they're going to carry with them for the rest of their life 
Yeah. And she was dead serious. So she's like, yes, I'm I'm taking this and putting this on my fridge. Like this is yeah. I finally have a family portrait that looks like my family. Yeah. So why are like, in your opinion, why do you think the early years are so important? Well, I feel, you know, as a professor and somebody that does yeah. a lot of with the with the research and stuff, I know what the research says. Mm-hmm. Zero to five is so crucial in terms of building that effective relationship. I have kind of done recently going down the rabbit hole of the uh, types of different types of attachment theories and different types of attachments. This is something I've been really kind of concerned about about post-COVID, post-pandemic, about uh, how children have connected. Because we know when we go back through uh, the research, and we know particularly when we're thinking about Eric Erickson's social-emotional theories, right, that trust versus mistrust and that ability to build that, uh, like how crucial that first caregiver's um, attachment is to the child and how the child for, sees the, the world for the rest of their lives, possibly if that connection is good or not good. And it can also come from an early childhood uh, educator, especially if you are in the infant room and how that connection can really, um, really make, make, make a difference in a child's life and make them feel safe. I feel that uh, we really give children a great opportunity when we have really skilled early childhood educators, trained educators in the field who know, who love, who are passionate about what it is that they're doing, that children just, uh, I don't know, I, I don't even know the word, maybe blossom, yes. grow, expand. I, you know, I love seeing little children and you can see the little wheels turning in their head. Let them try, let them do it. And that really does set the tone for what, what happens later on in life. And I'm a big advocate for um, and understand I did did my master's thesis on uh, children transitioning into school and what it is that they really needed from from uh, from uh, preschool or or daycares into into elementary schools. And it wasn't the ABCs or the one, two, threes or any of the academics. Uh, My research came up with it's all about um, having uh, appropriate social skills Mm -hmm. and uh, emotional regulation. And within the context of of that, uh, understanding that that's really where our focus needs to be, which then encompasses everything else, right? Language, gross motor, fine motor, all of the all of the developmental domains, particularly cognitive too, right? We've got problem solving, turn taking, sharing, all of those skills that children really need to become. You know, what's the end goal? What's the Mm. end result? We Mm. want them to be positive citizens of the world. Yeah. And that's that's the end. That's the end goal. It's so true. And we often, yeah, we often have to. this is where we can start right at the beginning. Yeah. And we often have to reframe that for families as well with the expectations of their children that rather than saying, you know, what do you want for your child right now? Because often families and educators can think of it from the perspective of like going to school and being successful and academic. But if you get them to think about the long-term future, like you're saying, and phrase it in a question of being like, well, what do you actually want for your child as a human being? Yeah. 
then the answer will be completely different and they'll start to see that will actually and then going back on that research that you're talking about where you said about the connection and safety without that there isn't going to be any academic learning if children do not feel safe in their environment and do not make a positive connection with their educator or their caregiver there's no learning there's no learning there's no learning it's mm. just it just doesn't happen mm. so so safety is first and it's not just physical safety i talk a lot with my students about building the effective relationships with a child and the psychological safety is is paramount to um to getting a child to grow and to thrive if they don't feel connected to the educator and they don't feel safe in their environment they're not going to grow they're just not it's just it's we know that we know that from the research and so what are some practical strategies or tips that you can you provide to be able to build that psychological safety and those connections well i think the first thing that i always like to talk about is um in terms of classroom environment um does the child feel like they have a space or a place in that in that mm-hmm. classroom. Is there a you know a cubby space? Is there can they bring in their doo doo or their pacifier or their whatever you know? Can they can they do all of that? That's one. Are they being greeted at the door? Hi, Lisa. I'm so happy you're here. Welcome back. You were missing a day. I missed you. Come on in. I can't wait to talk to you. Yeah. Right. Having children think that they're excited. Oh, you guys were talking about dinosaurs yesterday. I'm going to go get some dinosaurs and I'm going to put it on the table or put them in the sand table for you guys to play with because you're really excited about that. Thinking about ways that we can connect with them. And um, I did a workshop just recently and I think it's, it was pretty funny. I, I jokingly said to the educators, and I'm sure a lot of, of, of educators out there will relate, I said, when did we become waitresses? You know, you get an oh, apple and you yeah. get an apple. And, you're, <laughs> right? and, oh. and I said, when did we stop sitting down with the children at lunchtime and just kind of having that family meal and just kind of engaging in conversation and just going a little bit that back and forth and and just 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 being there and, you know, sitting down with the children and playing with them, mm. talking with them, having them sit in your lap read a story, engage. There's not, your whole job as an early childhood educator is to be with the children, right? Right. And so all the other stuff, yes, I know that you're going to get a lot of mail. Well, you know, my (laughs) admin says that, you know, but I understand that. (laughs) And nappies and like, you know, know, heating bottles and all of these other things. Yeah, I got to do this and this and like I got to clean and I'm all by myself. But we can get so caught up in those moments. Yeah. So we've got to come back to why we're doing it and why we're there. I challenge. Exactly. And I challenge everybody to at least spend 20 to 30 minutes sitting down on the carpet with your children, whether it's first thing in the morning, whether it's in the in the afternoon after snack, and just play with the children. And each child will get to know you and each child will get to know, you'll get to know each child. You'll be able to engage. You'll have silly moments. I think making a child laugh and the child making you laugh is a, 
wonderful way of building a bond. You know, just just a little bit of like, you know, silliness or whatever. Like, yeah, they're still children and they're still allowed to have a childhood. And, and it's not all about the growing and the learning and the this and that. Sometimes it's also OK to be a little silly and have a little bit of fun and a little bit of engagement. I used to have little dance parties in my classroom on the days where the weather was not necessarily, you know, in Canada, we can go down as cold as like minus 40. So yes, uh, let's talk about that. Yes. So we're not always capable of going outside Mm. uh, because the weather is too cold or we're in the middle of a snowstorm or something like that. And so we've got to find ways to help children burn off some of the wigglies that they get and uh, and to find ways for them to move their body. And turning on music and having a dance party, particularly on a Friday, is usually uh, a fun way to help children move their body and to get excited about, you know, oh, it's Friday. Let's. Let's do the Friday dance and let's get, you know, and so, you know, these kinds of things, I think we, there, all of these little things may seem small and insignificant to an adult, but to a child, it really does mean a lot to them that, you know, you call them by their name, you make sure, and you pronounce it properly and, you know, and, and the child feels excited about it. Um, Here in Canada, we are a, uh, a plethora of multitude of cultures and languages and all kinds of stuff like that. So we strongly encourage our educators to learn uh, at least a few words of of several languages so that they can make those connections with with the with the child, particularly the younger ones. You know, even if it's as simple as you know, um, you know, uh, like something like, do you have to go to the washroom or? Uh, you know, are you are you hungry or do you want more like we we teach sign language or something like that so that the child can feel um, comfortable in that classroom? Again, going back to the whole idea of safe. Yeah. And that psychological safety. And I love that. Oh, so many like different ways that I want to go with this. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm like, oh, do we talk about like, because I, I loved what you said about obviously the play-based learning. And I want to go down that route because I don't know if people really understand the difference between play and play-based learning. Um, but I'm also yeah. interested, we'll talk about that. And I'm also interested about the weather and how you incorporate, because obviously we're so blessed over here in Australia that our weather is pretty um, standard all year round. There's not a lot of degree. Perhaps it's too hot some days that we might stay inside, but we're very blessed. But yeah, so play, like what is play-based learning and some effective strategies around play-based learning and how to, how educators can frame it? Well, I think uh, in terms of play-based learning and and the way that I sort of go about it is I really feel that, uh, again, going back on the idea of being an intentional educator, really getting to know the children well enough to find out what their interests are. What are they excited about? What do they want to do? And how do we support that in our physical environment? I'm I'm not so keen, I guess is a good word, on on too many teacher-based activities. I really like the idea of prompted experiences, you know, putting materials up out on the tabletop, uh, changing the materials around a lot so that children are constantly exploring. So when you are in that 
that that the materials are new. This is the, where the educator needs to come in and use language to support that. Ask open-ended questions, being able to paraphrase. If a child says, you know, apple, oh, that's, yeah, that's a red apple. Do you eat red apples at home? And being able to sort of bring that language in, but sit there and support the play as an educator going into that. And that I feel a lot of the times is where you see the learning in the play by by just supporting it in what they're doing, you know, speaking to it, engaging in it. I always think it's really important as an educator to help support the social uh, building the social skills, you know, the turn taking, you know, modeling a lot of that stuff. Uh, you know, I, it, I've been in this field for 30 years. I cannot tell you, Lisa, how many cups of fake tea I've had in my lifetime. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, and just kind of support that that kind of play, bringing in different materials. I really feel like uh, educators need to be on the ball when it comes to um, uh changing their classroom over more often than not. Um, sometimes I go into centers where my first question is, um, when was the last time you changed your toys? Mm. They're like, oh, we have so many challenging behaviors. When was the last time you changed your toys? Mm. And they're like, oh, well, uh, we put them in in September and uh, that was it. I'm like, well, they're bored and now they're ready for more constantly challenging, helping to scaffold with new materials, bringing in, you know, uh, fun things. I am a, a huge advocate for an empty box. I yes. love empty boxes. Bring in empty boxes yeah. uh, and, and watch what happens. Like they turn into so many different things, allowing children that opportunity. And the other thing I would say in terms of play-based learning is give them time to play. Yeah. We are so quick at oh, oh, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, or we use play as a transition, which we never should do. Mm. You know, find other things, you know, put puzzles on the table, books, whatever you need to do. But play is play and give them the time, 30, 40 minutes of just playing. Yeah. Well, we say then long really uninterrupted see. times. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're we're kind of working on that here. Mm. Um, a lot of our educators have started. Well, not started, but you know, there are a few educators that do uh, use play as sort of a transition. They don't really, or ten minutes, fifteen minutes, and children don't actually get time to get into the play. I jokingly say, if you ever listen to a dramatic play, um, you know, group going on, it takes 15 minutes for them to come up with their storyline before they've even started to play. Storyline, roles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who's going to, what material, all of that kind but of stuff. But I want to be the mom. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But all of that is learning yes. through play. And negotiation, and they have conflict to learn to resolution. Negotiation, yep. conflict Language. resolution. Mm. 
language. And the only way that children are really going to learn all of those skills is to be able to interact with their peers, to be able to do all of that stuff. And how do, even during those play scenarios, how do we learn to pivot? How do we learn to change things? Mm, And respond as well. And that impromptu, and it builds so many different facets of their learning and their growth. And something that you said before, which I want to highlight around that you told the child, so you you picked up around that psychological safety, but also play-based, where you communicated with that child, hey, I noticed yesterday you were playing with the dinosaurs too. So today we're going to put, like, well, should we put them back out? So I think that often we'll just set something up in the space, but we won't have that conversation or discussion and involve the children in that decision-making process. Yes, I think it's really important that we talk to the children about everything. Mm. I jokingly say, if you're not tired of talking by the end of the week, you didn't talk enough. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and lost that voice. I remember some weeks, it was so funny, I used to get home and my husband was like, blah, 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 and he expected me to communicate back and I was like, no, 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 I just need some silence. I just need silence, just a little bit. Just a little. Yeah. Friday night was always the night where you're like, no, I don't want to talk to anybody. You want to go? No, I don't want to do it. It was like, you're being so short. I'm like, fine, talk all you want. But I just need, I just need a bit of silence. It's so true. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. It's so true. And Mm. I think, I think that's where we get the idea of the community classroom. Yeah. Right. Because here I am, oh, I saw that you were playing with the dinosaurs. How about we put them in the sand table? Or or where would you like to play with them? Ask mm. them those questions, depending on the age group that you have. I mean, you could have a group of four and five-year-olds who, who could run the classroom and you just could sit there and sip a cup of tea, you know? Like, they've got the whole thing under control, especially if you have managed it in a particular way that the the children seem, uh, you know, very competent and very confident in their ability to, to choose and to navigate through their day. Yeah, and it reminds me, I mean, I'm a big advocate for drawing different parts and almost like, you know, peeling back all the theorists and perspectives. And it reminds me of a part that I take from um, like Maria Montessori around that we shouldn't Mm -hmm. do for children anything they can do for themselves. That we're taking that learning away. You're stealing that moment from them every time you go. And we care. We're such caring people and we're in the caring space and we Mm -hmm. have that innate need to to do certain things. But we have to check in on and hold ourselves back because we definitely don't want to steal that moment or send a different message to the child. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think that, again, I think that comes with, with confidence as an educator. I think that comes with intentionality. I think that comes with, you know, a couple of years in the, in the field so that you feel like, okay, this is not going to all, you know, fall apart if I, if I give them a little bit of control, which I think is what a lot of new educators feel that they're going to lose control of the classroom. But I feel that that allowing them to have that opportunity, give them that responsibility. And I think a part of it, too, is 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 believing that children can. Yeah, like they can do it. We know that they can do it. I believe that children are so very capable. We just need to. Like you said, back up a little bit and allow them that opportunity to do it. Maria Montessori was just like, she's my, she's my idol right there. Like she just totally gets it. And, and, uh, and, uh, yeah, 
She was a way ahead of her time, let me oh, tell you. Oh, so much. And I think it reminds me in our new framework, we've got um, this new keyword, which is high expectations. So having high expectations of children and having that belief that they can reach it, they can get there. I believe in you. And even as team members, like sometimes they just need your belief in them to be able to achieve something. But same with the children, we just need to believe in them. Yes. And that's yes. where it starts. And they're so very <laughs> capable and so wonderful. When, and, and one of the things that I think, again, going back to the idea of joy, I remember so many moments in my career where when a child gets it and has done it for themselves, yeah. that look on their face mm-hmm. of pure joy and like, look what I did. And you're like, aren't you? That's so amazing. And they're like, yeah, I like did it. This. And that proud, and then, yeah, pride. And then to go up, and I always try to do this, like to the, when I was an educator, I would always make sure that I would talk to the parent in front of the child and say, let me tell you what your child did today. I'm telling you, you're going to be so happy, you know, because parents always are thinking that something terrible is going to, you know, like the the news is going to be so bad and like, oh, I can't tell you. And I'm like, oh, your son or your daughter made me laugh so much today. I had such a great day with your child. And you see both parent and child walking away totally happy because, you know, I think their child is just as great as as they do and the child has heard me talk about how wonderful they are to their parent isn't that beautiful and we're having those conversations so more and more that and encouraging you know services and educators call parents for good things too yeah like every time they see that you know the service or the center number on come up on their phone it's like that freak out moment of like oh no what's happened are they sick oh, what or, happened now? yeah so really train them that every now and then like schedule it in your diary for certain children to call for great things um mm-hmm. so then that doesn't warrant that response so uh, yes totally on board with um, sharing those moments so precious and beautiful Mm -hmm. yeah and it also helps to build a really good relationship with the parent because the parent believes that you also think your child their child is wonderful and so if there is a problem or if something does come up you're not just nitpicking at the child because you let's say you've said five things that are wonderful about their child but maybe one day when a rough day you know maybe the child's you know getting sick or you know we all have our bad days you can say that to the parent and they'll one they'll believe you yeah right they're not just going to think you're picking on their child and secondly they'll take you more seriously Mm, it's so true. We've been doing a lot of work at the moment, a big um, project into nervous system regulation. And um, as, you know, as educators, we need to be regulated in order to co-regulate with the children. But it reminded, but that reminded me of a moment that was shared. So um, two of our educators are also parents themselves and they can, they bring their children into that space. And one of the, or both parents actually, when they get feedback that is, um, you know, your child didn't have a very good day today, um, you know, this and this happened, you know, just just that light out of it. But it makes them feel so guilty 
as parents that like, oh my goodness, my child's too hard work for that. Like, you know, do I want to bring them? Like, you know, is it okay? Are they okay? And it's like that, just that feeling of just that heaviness and guilt that we want to really say, we're in, we're in partnership with you. You're not in this alone. Mm -hmm. We're a team. And I think exactly what you're saying with that messaging, both good and bad, but when we mix them together and we, I think all parents want to know is that uh, you understand their child and you know yes. who they are. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And that, and that when I walk away, that my child is loved and cared for. Yes. Yes. And are you finding, because we're finding a lot um, here and it's it's coming a lot, we're going back to very much old school and we're revisiting all of these things that we used to do that we just don't do anymore. So some of those things are like um, music. There's not enough like actually teachers singing and engaging in music, storytelling and reading. Um, and then the other thing is like being that real partnership with the family to be able to have these conversations and actually actually support them in the journey, whatever the challenges are. Um, and those are, I guess, the three top things that we're finding that is just, they're just becoming extinct. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are not singing anymore. And um, that is, that breaks my heart because I feel like it, particularly in the infant and toddler room, uh, that's where children learn their language. They are going to learn their language through songs and they're going to learn their, their language through that kind of thing. I was um, working at a daycare and I was mentoring in the infant room. One of the educators um, was struggling a little bit. And so she had all of the little children, all the little babies in their high chairs. And of course, lunch is late because, you know, it happened. <laughs> Happens, yeah. and it happens and everybody's getting frustrated and she's getting frustrated that the babies are getting upset yeah and I just broke into song mm. I because that's what I do as an educator yeah I just broke into song I think I, I I think it was if you're happy and you know it and I started singing it everybody calmed down there was there was this whole you know co-regulation I was singing they were engaged they were they were going along with it and then, and then I hear the educator behind me going well that worked wow. <laughs> right yes. and again it's it's like you you don't know how much the child knows until you start doing things like singing and music and musical instruments we know that children connect with that very much right storybooks are that i don't think is an issue in our, here in canada we know that but do you write literacy, a lot of do you do a lot of storytelling with the children where the children make up their own stories and they actually act it out through dramatic like plays? Do like story reenactments and yeah, stuff. Oh, yeah. that part, no, they don't do that as much. We we teach that in our in our program, that Beautiful. is a big part of our teaching. Yeah. But it's interesting that our our students don't I feel like our students don't necessarily feel comfortable doing that. Um I I love reenacting. I don't know if you guys know the story going on a bear hunt. Yes, and wombat stew for us. Do you know wombat stew? Yes. 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 <laughs> yes. So those are the I mean, yeah, go tos. On, yes. Right? Yes. Um and 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 it's like how can you not do a story reenactment with those stories. Yes. How can <laughs> like, you not? That's yeah, exactly. Sense. Exactly. It just makes sense. Yeah. And so I feel like 
Um, it is getting lost a little bit in in that reading the story is fine. Um, that they seem to to enjoy because because I find what's happening is that uh, there's more and more teacher directed activities and less of the of the. Um, child-directed activities, like like you said, play-based learning. And so reading a story and doing circle time um, is a teacher-directed experience that, that educators like to do. And then some of the things that they do during circle time, um, I, I get twitchy. Yes. It but- makes me... It makes me cringe. I'm like, what are you doing? Yes. Like, like calendar and the weather and all of that. And I just think, okay, there are three. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look at the research. Look at the theory like behind that before you indulge. And I have this saying, it's like really simple. It's like, if there's no purpose, there's no point. And exactly. Yeah. And I always reflect back to that. And I said, look, what is the purpose? Because then I ask the question rather than judging and coming from that squirmy place, I always ask the question <laughs> because sometimes in that moment, like for example, I walked into an infant's room um, and they had an iPad out with the, with them and they were watching the um, a video on the iPad. And, you know, I had a conversation with the lead educator in there afterwards. And I said, look, this morning, I just noticed that you had the iPad out. The children were watching the iPad like um you know how often does this occur what were you doing what was the purpose and she said Lisa it never happened um we literally were just following up on a um on a moment um that happened and that was our extension to build upon that and it was literally for the couple of minutes that I saw it for and because there was meaning and purpose behind the intention um it was obviously warranted and it had a purpose and it had meaning whereas if we're just getting that ipad out or just that tv out to sit them in front of it just for entertainment purposes um you've got to think well what is our job in that moment what is our role are we are we doing yeah what we you know through that play-based learning and what are the children getting yeah Yeah, I I have the same sort of uh, philosophy too because i always talk to my students i talk to educators tell me what your why is like, yeah. why did you do that? What's your why? You know, because um, everything that we should be doing with children should be intentional. There's always a purpose behind it. The The language that you use, the materials you put out, the, uh, uh, you know, the activities that you do with them, why you're doing what you're doing. You should be able to explain it to anybody that comes across and says to you, why did you do that? And you should be able to say, I did that because. Yeah. And I just did last night, actually hosted a critical reflection workshop. And oh, wow. Yeah. And so, you know, that was a lot of our discussion is around everything should come from something. You should be able to describe yeah. the either the story, the journey, the research, the theorists behind the reason that how this informed your practice. And that is, yeah, it's really important. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, absolutely. I, I think there's always um, an opportunity for children to, to learn. And I feel like it's very important for educators to um, 
to be always on that sort of observational kind of mode, you know, what are you, what are you thinking? What are, what are you seeing? What is the, the, you know, what is the, what is the things that are happening before, you know, during, what are the consequences to that? What, what materials are you seeing? Who's playing with who, who's, who's developing friendships, who's struggling to enter into play, all of those kinds of things. The more that we watch and observe our children, the more that we are able to bring that intentionality in. Like I said, I saw you yesterday playing with the dinosaurs. Let's do something more with the dinosaurs. If I didn't take notice, I would have just, you know, let that go. So I feel like that that's a that's a big part of it. And taking the time to actually pause and observe. I think that often we can yeah. get in those robotic, um, monotonous tasks that we do every day. And, um, you know, we go at the speed of our own pace and we set the pace for the day or for the room. So actually really, I'm a very advocate right now for slowing down, just really slow I down. I love that podcast, by the way. Yeah. I thought that was fabulous. Good. That was such a uh, good I'm, one. I'm on a bandwagon about slowing down right now because I just think that is where we're at. We need to really slow down in all facets of our life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I feel like this would be so beneficial to early childhood educators that um, we, yes, every child needs to have a routine in their classroom, but we do not need to be a slave to our watch or our, our clock or whatever, and not be so rushed in everything that we're doing. No, no, no. Well, let's go. We got to go. We got to go. We got to yeah. go. If it takes two more minutes to clean up, it's okay. Yeah. They're if, doing it themselves. If half if the group want to continue something as well, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So they're really engaged in play. I know we're supposed to go outside, but, you know, let them let them finish up. Yeah. Give them the five more minutes. Give them the 10 more minutes that that because they're so focused, because they're so engaged, give them those moments. You can still follow the routine without following the clock. Yeah. And have you heard that we actually took the clocks away in our classroom? Oh, I love it. Yeah, it's very extreme, very extreme. But we found, we set, so what we did as a um, thing, we set alarms on the iPad. So we had an iPad yes. and we set certain alarms. Um, so 11 a.m. was our alarm. We knew that was our, um, you know, our trigger to, you know, start setting up the beds and getting lunch ready. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, we had no clocks. So we knew, and children will tell you when they're hungry. If they you know, you'll start to notice that, that, we call that like our flow, the flow of the day, yes. that it doesn't have to be at certain times. It just is the flow. It's one after the other yeah. in that um, consistent method, but really mm -hmm. just being responsive to the children. Yes, that's a great idea. I really like that. And you're right. There's there's times in the day that that uh, obviously you have to know and 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 uh, as 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 we are here in Canada, it's um. Now time to, when it's time to go outside, we have to give ourselves at least another 15 or 20 minutes because we are head to toe in snow gear. <laughs> um, so, so trying to get eight pair of snow pants on 18 months old is, um, is a bit of a challenge. Um, you'll end up with a, with a, a <laughs> at least a little bit of sweat on the on the forehead by the time you're done getting everybody uh, dressed and out um so there is that timing too right that 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 
what else do we need to do? Um, getting children ready, giving them the time they need because they're engaged in play when they're hungry. You know, all of those things is, um, is again, making it much more child-based and less about the academics, less about um, the teacher. Yeah, and who are we doing it for? I think that's a really powerful question. Like, again, yeah. if you're sitting children in front of a TV, is that for the children or for the educators? Like, that is an educator decision. Um, whereas, yes. like, you know, spending an extra 10 minutes to get the children ready in their, um, in their snow gear. Um, in, in Scotland, they suits and boots. That's all I heard there, suits yeah. and boots. Um, yeah. yeah, to be able to get them ready to go outside. But that is us thinking in advance with how to create more time in that space so that it isn't rough and that we can take exactly. our time because even the conversations that would happen during that time would be amazing like about the weather why do we need to wear this like you know I can just imagine oh yeah and the other thing is too again going back to autonomy getting children to be able to you know children can get their snow pants on I have a little trick even for 18 months old you know let me see your toes and they get a little tickle when their toes pop out and then as soon as they can stand up they flip it over and then we can flip over the coats and we got the hats and the neck warmers and the mitts and boots are the last thing that go on and out we go Oh. And everybody has a pattern and they all can start doing it and, you know, all starting to work, work on their autonomy and being able to do that. And, you know, children who are able to zip up their own coat are very proud of themselves. Yes. <laughs> and those moments. I mean, like over in yeah. Australia, we have educators whinging about putting children's shoes on to go outside. So let alone putting... <laughs> putting on all of this snow gear um and how does the weather like how does the weather impact would you go outside you know rain hail or shine snow blizzard like where does the where does the barriers lie okay so um again I think the barriers lie in the educators um <laughs> to be perfectly honest sometimes um uh, a lot of our educators because some some days it is quite the ordeal to get all child all the children dressed up and to and get them outside it is it is about a 15 to 20 minute extra uh, every day um, we I think our base is minus 10 so children can go out at minus uh, up until minus 10 minus 12 um, snow is fantastic because we have snow hills and sliding and snowmen and and snow angels and and snow 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 um, we love to use uh, snow for science you know, melting, measuring, uh, bringing out one of those old-fashioned yardsticks and seeing how much snow it snowed the night before because sometimes we can get a lot of snow like we're talking like 40 centimeters of snow um, yeah. and so we get the children plunging through that they love the sleds um, you know once they get outside Canadian children are just adapted to to be able to do that and um, we don't uh, feel that there is um, 
you know, when it gets extremely cold, that's obviously there. there's a health concern there, but um, we can take them out in the rain. We can take them out in the snow. The snow is the fun part. Yes. Look at all of the amazing. Nature is just such a beautiful resource, yes. isn't it? And the yes. changes yes. in the seasons and you would have extreme oh, we changes. Have beautiful yes. cha- we have beautiful changes. We just finished up our fall and the colors were amazing. And I was supervising at a day care and I watched a um educator have um you know the billy boots and the and the splash pants and off they went into the forest with a rake and she was going to rake up all the leaves and I could hear the squeals of delight as the children were (laughs) jumping into the piles of leaves and just enjoying that that experience and you know coming back and they got you know leaves stuck in their hats (laughs) and their hair and all of that and just coming back after they've gotten that experience and and um you know you know as a Canadian educator we're really about you know forest schools and getting outside and being in the nature and and uh, and trying to get them outside as much as possible. I mean, not every educator is as joyous about being outside, but <laughs> in the um, rain, yeah, in the rain, yeah, and the snow and the cold or whatever. But I think a, a, most of our educators do try to utilize like the different seasons. Uh, a lot of daycares have gardens, so we'll um, you know they'll do some planting. Um, they'll you know spring is a big deal here too, right? We're finally out <laughs> less less snow pants and more rain pants and uh and gardening and planting and seasonal stuff and so there there's so much um, science and social studies and community and all of that stuff that we could utilize just based on the seasons yeah Oh, absolutely. And that calendar, calendar of the seasons, it's so beautiful. And I think that's a real motto that I try to stand by is there's no bad weather, it's just bad clothing. Um, Although your minus 40, I would say, is bad weather. don't know if I hey we still go out man I still go out yeah yeah and and the cars start and uh you know we sit in we 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 do start our cars a little bit early before we get in there let the let it warm up and uh because you need to put special stuff in your car so that it doesn't freeze right no, we're good. <laughs> oh, you're good. No, they, they, they've, ad- they've adapted the cars. We used to have to plug them in oh. um, so that the battery didn't freeze. Right. But um, but now the batteries are are adapted okay to for the our weather. <laughs> yeah. oh, that's good. Thank goodness. Because imagine, yeah, imagine. I mean, we like sometimes we'll get like a little tiny bit of ice on our windscreens or something um, if it's extremely <laughs> cold, but <laughs> no, nothing. That's not, the hose can fix that. Just put the hose on it. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, no, we're, we're, we're taking like massive shovels to dig out our cars sometimes. Wow. Oh, how amazing. I'd I'd love to have the opportunity to be able to teach in an environment like that, just to see how it, how it differed. Um, And I remember in Iceland, like, again, they just suits and boots and they just went out all weather in the, it was frozen and they were at the lakes in the fruit, like it wasn't, they weren't frozen over. But they like it was icy cold, and they're just in there playing with the rocks and the water, and it was just obviously their environment, and it's just what they were used to. Yeah, I think I think one is just what you're used to, mm-hmm. and so so it's just part of it, and I think that um, 
children are a lot more resilient about this stuff than we are. We're a little bit more cranky about the weather and about the cold. And, you know, we're, we're not the ones that are like running and, and jumping and rolling down the snow hills and all of that kind of stuff. They're, they're loving it. But why is that? I like I want to because for me I think it's like obviously our fears, our beliefs that we've held inside. But I also think it's as you get older, your inner child gets suppressed. But if we just bring out that inner child, let go of all of our it's messy or it's cold or you know I don't want to get wet, I don't have a change of clothes. It's like our logic brain starts to take over. But and and it's a yeah. bad example, right? But if we're out like having a drinking alcohol, that inhibition goes like we have no inhibitions and that logic brain goes out the window. So it's almost like we just need to yeah. take that energy into our space to be able to just like let go of those inhibitions and just, as you said, like much earlier in the episode, get that silliness and that joy back into our day. Absolutely. And I think, I think that's one of the things that uh, you see with educators that are still so passionate about their field is that they will bring out that joy. They will go on the, they will get on the back of the sl- uh, of the toboggan and the and the crazy carpet, and they'll go down the hills with the children, and they'll they'll engage with them, and 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 they'll just you know it, it'll be just fun. Yes. It'll just be a fun experience. Uh, I was very fortunate just before COVID. I went to a forest school here in um in Quebec where it was January it was winter uh like deep deep snow and uh, they spent most of the day outside. Uh, children got to decide what they wanted to do. We I spent the day tobogganing with children. Um you know some <laughs> I got to the point where I'm like no I'm not pulling you up the hill again. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but 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 just just that that the they move better there's this mobility about them um they spot things they they found animal tracks which is very common right um in forest school areas uh you know i think it was uh, either it was a rabbit or it was um you know something like a small a small creature or whatever and we all looked around to see you know what el- what other evidence was there and sort of talking about that and and like reading stories about it and having all of that 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 stuff so really kind of bringing in the whole nature and how important it is to uh, coexist with uh, um, with with everything else again going back to the idea for me the ultimate goal is be, becoming a good citizen of the world and I do believe that part of that is also thinking about compassionately with animals and taking care of the environment and taking care of your space and all of the stuff that goes along with it and getting children fired up about about being outside and being in nature and and loving that and giving them those opportunities to i don't know climb trees and you know throw rocks and dig in the mud with a stick and you know and all of those kinds of things that that i used to do as a kid my parents never even 
not an eyelash, right? And now we're saying, oh, put down the stick and don't throw the rock. You're going to get somebody in the eye. I've never in 30 years come across a, a an incident report where somebody got a stick in the eye. So yeah, I'm yeah. still waiting for that to happen. Yeah. But just allowing children to have that childhood where they are connecting to, to more things than just what we're giving them or what they're seeing on the screen. Yeah, and I think, you know, going into that is with play-based learning, open versus closed-ended, and um, we talk a lot about, um, what is it called, or transient art, so getting the children to come up with different materials and creating their own transient artwork with different things they see, and transient obviously means that it um, is movable, so we can obviously remove it, put it back into nature, and usually nature items are what, and you see the creations, children do it naturally, they don't need us to know that it's called transient art, they just collect things yeah, within we just their... made a fancy yeah. word, but they've been <laughs> doing did. it forever. Yeah, it's so true, it's so true, and the patterns, and the shapes, and and what they can transform. Oh, but yes. Yeah, and I think that that's yeah, something... Yeah, we have pine cones. We do yes. lots of things with pine cones and different colored leaves, and, and children will put that into, like, the outdoor um, kitchen areas, and they'll make things, and there's going to be lots of stuff like that, or they'll just walk around with two pine cones. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I saw this picture the other day. It was a um, someone had made a full Christmas tree out of pine cones. I'll send you the photo. You can collect all your pine cones and, and make your pine cone Christmas tree. It was really cool. But I love how people are lovely. looking for things that are more sustainable and nature-based that um, obviously have fallen from nature to collect and be able to repurpose and, and make different things out of. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's there's so many things that we can, we can learn um, we can continue to grow as as a profession, as a field, thinking about um, environmental factors, how we can reduce the waste, how we can teach children about environmental factors and, um, you know, all of those great things. So it's really good. I like that idea. The pine cones are always a big fa uh, fan favorite with the children. Yes. Oh, and when you've got access to them, like there's so many resource shops in Australia that sell them for lots of like money. And it's crazy. It's like, um, really? and, yeah. And conkers. I don't know if you have the conkers here. It was something I discovered yeah. over in Scotland. Um, yeah. I was like, we don't have any of that. Like we have obviously pine cones, but they're much more rare to find. So whenever mm -hmm. we do, um, I get my mum usually to collect like big bags of them and, and bring them back. But yeah, they're becoming rare and rare. So resource stores like shells, um, pine cones, rocks, like they, yes. they sell them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but yeah, go out in nature and source them. I think that's always better. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Children love rocks. They do. They really do. They really do. And so many different things. It can be an apple one day. It can be money the next day. Um, yeah, it's so open-ended. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. And allowing them that opportunity to be able to do all of those things, giving them the space and the time to be able to use their creativity and use their imagination to 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 play with something that is just so common and so ordinary, but turns into something so much more. Yeah. And children's imaginations have decreased by 90% over the last 10 years. So we have an Break obligation. Break my heart when you say that. I know. 
I know we have an obligation to to bring it back and creative, creative, innovative problem solvers for the future. And if we don't continue to bring those open ended materials or children have access to them, um, then, yeah, I mean, I can't even imagine what the future will look like. Very scary. Yeah. Um, which is, oh, we could talk about that all day long, I'm sure. But um, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so where can people track you? Oh, sorry, before that, do you, is there anything else that you want to leave for our listeners? Any last minute words or sayings or quotes or mantras that um, are common in your practice? Oh, uh, okay. Put um, you on the spot. <laughs> put me on the spot. I really am an advocate for understanding. So I think the last thing I would go back to um, to say again is always to remember your why. Why are you? Why are you in this field? Why are you doing what you're doing with the children? Why are you setting up your classroom? I do believe, and I, I again, like you had said, Lisa, the there's purpose in everything that you're doing. And the long-term goal is to create a good citizen of the world. And how are we doing that? How are we doing that? What's our part in that or that our role in that uh, to create um, these wonderful adults that are going to take over the world and make it way better than we're making it right now. So yeah, and that's our legacy. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. That's exactly what it is. Mm, leaving that legacy. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, and where can people find you, Donna, if they want to track you down for a chat or to come and see you over there in Canada? <laughs> Well, uh, yes, absolutely. I have, uh, I'm on LinkedIn uh, under Donna Ski. I also have a Facebook page or an Instagram account um, for The Infinite Educator. Um, I started my own company three years ago um, called The Infinite Educator, where I do mentoring, workshops, um, you know, keynote speakers. I've kind of done it all in the last three years, and it's been very exciting. Um, I've, I've, loved it. Uh, I'm so very passionate about um, talking about early childhood. As you can tell, we're already over our time. But uh, yeah, so the Infinite Educator is on Instagram. Uh, it's also on Facebook. And you can find me on LinkedIn on Adonisky. You can send me messages through all of those. Um I would love to be able to work with uh, more people. I have done a workshop actually for um, a daycare in Australia. Amazing. Called the Grove. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, I got the up Grove Academy. The, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I got up at four in the morning and they had their six o'clock in the evening meeting. Thing, and I was I was doing it at four in the morning on Zoom. I've done I've done workshops uh, for um, uh, a small group in Africa. I've been doing a lot of mentoring with educators who are um, struggling in the classroom. I've done wonderful workshops with educators um, for challenging behaviors because that is a new um new field that a lot of our our educators are struggling with well maybe it's not so new but it's a it's become more of a struggle where uh, they're not really sure what to do with some of the children that they have in their care um but yeah so that's those are all the places but again lisa this has been a wonderful experience for me um 
to sort of geek out with somebody else who's totally passionate about early childhood and uh, and be able to just have this wonderful conversation about anything and everything. Like I, we could probably go for another hour. I know, I know, <laughs> we really could. Um, it's so true, it's so true. I'm sure we could talk all day. And you know, we should we should meet up one of these days, whether it's yes. over here in Australia when or in Canada. When do you go Canada. to Scotland? Um, well, I'm not sure. I think we're planning a trip maybe for June next year. So I'll get in touch. Um, Okay. Yeah, I'll get in touch. Well, I was I was there in June this year. Oh no! So I, okay. Yeah, and I went to the uh, I went to the University of Inverness, Amazing. where they have an East ECE program there as well. Yeah, and had wonderful conversations with the uh, with the teachers there in Inverness about all of the. You know, and we did this. It was over a cup of tea and it was fabulous. And uh, uh, they have the same issues that we have in Canada and they have the same solutions. And it's just it was just so wonderful to be able to reach out to a variety of people in the world and have these conversations all the time. Oh, and it's so true. And I think that's something that I learned last year, like obviously being out like, what do we do? New Zealand, Scotland, Italy, um, UK and um, Iceland. And it was just really interesting to hear how diverse the issues are. They're not just national within Australia, they're global and everyone's having the same things. And I think, oh my gosh, the power in the people, if we all got together and just advocated for the same thing. I was like, oh, we we need to create like a global, a global summit or a global, um, global group. I was just thinking the same thing. (laughs) We need an international early childhood summit. Yes, or something just to come together. But because like for us, like we're we're not for us, we're really practical and easy, practical, simple solutions. And I find Mm -hmm. what's happening and I don't know if you find this a lot with um, others in the space is that they're quite very theoretical. And whilst, you know, all of our decisions are based on research and theorists and perspectives, they also have to be practical because we have to be able to take them and put them into action. Absolutely. They have to be tangible strategies that we can move into the classroom immediately. So yes. my, I, when I give workshops, that's exactly my mindset as well, that we, yes, I take it from the research and I always go from the idea of best practice. Mm-hmm. I believe in best practice. I, I always go from that point of view, but it's great to say, here's the theory, go implement it but there's no practical part to it whereas as as i believe especially in a lot of my workshops i here take this try this do this like how about we try this strategy this strategy this strategy and if none of those work let's let's try again let's keep working on it until we figure it out and how do we work on building the positive i always believe that we always need to come from the strength of the children and not from a, we're a deficit. So where are they at right now and how can we meet them there? Yeah. Oh, totally feel you. I feel it connect. Yes. Love that. <laughs> love that so much. And thank you. I think, yeah. I think we, I think you and I have a new project. I think we need to have the international early childhood summit. There you go. Let's do it. Let's do it. I love it. I don't it. mind coming to Australia. You want to come to Australia? <laughs> but I'm like, I want to come to Canada and experience the snow and the ice. I know you want to come to Canada. <laughs> we'll have the, um, we'll have to trade. I no, when I was in We'll have to trade. We'll we'll swap houses. <laughs> no, I want you to be there too. Um, so we'll have to do it. Yeah, different times. But yeah, but 
Absolutely. And it's funny, like the same thing when I was in uh, Scotland, uh, I also invited them to come to Canada and to to come and uh, check us out because I'm pretty proud of our programs, too. We we work very hard at, at at the college level to to make sure that because ours is a three year college program that they have to go through to be able to get uh, qualified to be an early childhood educator and it's quite extensive and and pretty uh, uh, intensive. So um, have them come here and see what our facilities and everything look like, as well as going into some of our centers. Some of our centers just. They just blow my mind sometimes. There's some educators out there that I, I, when I'm supervising, I'm supposed to be watching my student and I'm sitting there in awe of the educator going, yes. I can't believe you are so good. Yes. And I, and I had so many moments of that when I, even when I was leading now where I just look at educators and I'm like, yes, you're like the epitome of what we should be. Like, that is it. You're it. You just have this like joy. Yeah. And I, it was funny. I had a moment like that um, a few months ago. I saw this educator and she was actually teaching the children all of these old school dance moves. And, um, you know, <laughs> yeah, like the sprinkler, the helicopter, the pushing the trolley, like, and it was so fun. And not it didn't matter what this educator did. She would always have a group of, you know, 20 children around her because she was so fun. And that's it. Like to bring back the fun, bring back the joy all the children will be attracted over um yeah and you know what that tells me that tells me that early childhood educator loves her job she loves being around children she finds joy she finds passion she finds happiness she finds everything that she needs in those group of children and I think if we could bottle that and yes. it, I think I think that we would we would be bazillionaires because oh, yes. I feel like the the people who are passionate about this field are are a uh, um, next level there's a completely different type of human being who uh, everybody who talks to me when I give a workshop they're like uh, if nothing else you are you love your 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 field. You you are super passionate. You are super into this. I I I, I jokingly say I spend my weekends reading uh, books about early childhood. Like Me I'm too. constantly <laughs> learning. I'm constantly yep. engaging. I'm constantly oh I love this. I go down as we say go down the rabbit hole of an, a new topic, yes. and I just the next thing I know I'm like uh, I'm just going bananas over it, and it's just because I know what that joy feels like, and it's almost. You know, it's it's for the children a hundred percent, but I get a little, I get a benefit out of it too. Oh yeah, it fills our cup. We don't do anything if there's no benefit, like if there's nothing in it for us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so it feel fills the cup. Yes, all the way to the. Oh front. yes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. When you get to work with little ones and and they're just something clicks and everything is going well and you're having a good day, it's like you leave there and you've got this massive grin on your face and you're just like yeah 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 and those moments it is it's those (laughs) moments that you look back and you're like yes this is why I do what I do this is it this is that moment yeah yeah. yeah, and just and yeah. co- and collect that, those glimmers. Yes, the Simon oh, I know. moment. And like, yeah, and like the Simon moment yes. for me was like that was like okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that yep. was the best moment I ever had. Where I and it's hard to describe in words words that how I felt on that day, but it was just like 
you know what? I, I remember saying to myself, you know what, Donna, you're doing something good here. Yes. Like, I just remember that moment and just kind of thinking about it going, you know, this just feels good. Yes. Like it just, it just felt good. So yeah. to have those moments where you're like, okay, you're just, this is good. This is all good. Yeah, this is good. We're doing something good here. I love that. And that's exactly what we both want to encourage all of those amazing, call them superhumans, um, out there to keep doing an amazing job. Well, thank you so, so much for joining us today on the Everything Early Childhood Podcast. We've really appreciated your time and I hope you found everyone out there listening has found today's conversation as enlightening and inspiring as I did. Um, A big (laughs) thank you to Donna for sharing your expertise and passion for early childhood education And if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate and leave a review and share it with all of your amazing friends. And remember that the early years are the foundation of a lifetime of learning. So we're here to explore it all with you. And until next time, keep embracing curiosity, fostering imagination, nurturing those little sparks and make every moment count. So thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you on our next episode. Thanks for listening to the Everything Early Childhood podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. We read them all. (laughs) To catch all the latest from me, your host, Lisa Brown, you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Lisa Brown underscore Platinum Ed. Thanks again for listening. Keep making every moment count and I'll see you next time.